our prayer for illumination. God of conversation, we come to you today thirsty. Thirsty for hope, thirsty for good news, thirsty for a glimpse of you. So today we pray, move in these words like a current. Give us the courage to wade into your story with open eyes and open hearts. Give us the courage to drink this moment in. We are listening. We are grateful. Amen. Our gospel reading for this third Sunday in Lent comes to us from John chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 3 through 30 and 39 to 42. It's a big one. <laughs> Listen for God's word to you before, before I read it. The, the song uh, that Illuminati will be singing after uh, my sermon is not going to be Amazing Grace. It is going to be the gift of love. Be aware. Now, listen to God's word to you today. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is, that, is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks those such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this truly is the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Lord of the wellspring, source of life and truth, Jesus asked for water from the hands of a woman in the land of the stranger. May he teach us to name our need, to love our neighbor, and to worship you in spirit and truth. Through Jesus Christ, who shows us who we are. Amen. Take a deep breath now. What you've just heard is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in all of Scripture, and I believe it is one of the most misunderstood. How many of you have heard sermons on this passage that in one way or another refer to this woman as promiscuous? I am pleased to tell you that is not what this story is about. And nor is it a story of an unlucky widow who's been mistreated by first century patriarchy. No, it is much better than either one of those stories. This is a healing story. One in which those parts of our families and those parts of our own lives that have been exiled and outcast are welcomed back into the embrace of love. That's what this story is about, and all of us need it. And it all starts because Jesus goes to Samaria. Having been in Judea, 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 Jesus takes the path back to his home in Galilee through Samaria. And verse 4, John says, he had to go through Samaria. Well, for those of you who are not up to date on your first century Middle Eastern geopolitics, I can assure you Jesus did not have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. It is the most direct route, but it is neither the safest route nor the expected one. Most Jews in his situation would either head up the Mediterranean coast, north to Galilee, or they would travel through the Jordan River Basin precisely to avoid Samaria. Well, why was that? Well, just as Aaron told us, it's because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, to say the least. You might even go so far as to say they hated each other. And that hate was mutual, which is both strange and predictable. You see, Jews and Samaritans 
were all part of Jacob's family, the family of Israel. Samaritans descended from the northern tribes of Israel, and the Jews descended from the southern. They worshipped the same God. They read the same scriptures. They were both ruled by one foreign occupying power after another. You'd think that with all of this in common, the Jews and Samaritans would see each other as allies. But sadly, that's not how it works. You see, it's, it's the people that we are closest to who receive our deepest disdain. We see that in the church. We see it in our families. We see it in ourselves. The worst fights that you have ever had are not with strangers at Costco. <laughs> it's with the people you're closest to. It's with yourself. And Jesus wants to heal all of that. And so on the surface, Jesus has no reason to go through Samaria, but John says he has to go. Why? Because as we heard last week, for God so loved the world, and you know what's in the world? Samaria. It's a long walk from Judea back to Galilee, and so Jesus stops by a well in Sychar, but it's not just any well. He goes to Jacob's well, the common ancestor of both Jews and Samaritans. And in the bright noon sun, a tired and thirsty Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, give me a drink. In a moment of vulnerability and mutuality, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, asks this stranger for help. Can you give me a drink? And she's taken aback because Jews don't talk to Samaritans, but this one does. And this is the meet-cute moment. What do I mean by that? Well, if tonight you were to turn on a movie and you didn't know what the movie is about, but in the opening sequence you see two people who are just too busy for love, and they're both working in the office, and each one of them is moving on to the next meeting, and, and they don't see each other, and bam, they run into each other, and papers fly everywhere, and they're just scurrily trying to, to pick up those papers, and they look up, and they make eye contact with each other. What kind of a movie are you watching? What is it? It's a rom-com, right? A romantic comedy. Well, in the Bible, when a man and a woman meet at the well, this is the place for romance. Uh, whose well is this? Do you remember? Jacob's well. Jacob at the very same well where he meets his beloved Rachel back in Genesis 29. Where did he meet her? Oh, that's right, right here at this well. Jacob's father was Isaac, the son of Abraham. And when Abraham's servant goes on a mission to find a spouse for Isaac, where does he meet Rebekah? At a well. When Moses meets Zipporah, his eventual wife, in the book of Exodus, where do the two of them meet? Oh gosh, maybe it's at a well. Do you see the pattern here? Wells are the place of romance in the scriptures. And here these two unlikely people meet each other. Could it be that love is in the air? Now I can see your faces before I make you more uncomfortable than you already are. Let me remind you about a secret in the Gospel of John. In John's Gospel, everything is symbolic. 
When you take it literally, you miss the point. Remember last week, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus responds, do you want me to re-enter my mother's womb? No, you're taking it literally while Jesus is speaking in metaphor. And that happens all over John's gospel. When we take things literally, we miss the point. But when we look past the surface, we can see the truth. And so what we have here is a symbolic romance between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But don't take it literally. This is symbolic romance, a spiritual reunion. Now, why would John tell us a story about a spiritual romance between Jesus and a Samaritan woman? What is it symbolic of? Well, remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. You might even call it hatred. And the reason that Jews disliked the Samaritans is because they were no longer considered pure Israelites. Because in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire conquers Samaria, exiling thousands of them into their own country. At the very same time, they took people from five other conquered nations and brought them into Samaria. You can read all about it in 2 Kings chapter 17. Don't take my word for it. Now, you might ask, why would an empire bother to all to go doing this? Why, what's the point of moving some people out and other people in? Well, it's, it's what we now call cultural genocide. It's a way to root out the customs and the practices of conquered peoples so that eventually their only allegiance is to their overlords. And in the 700 years between when those events took place and the time of Christ, the Samaritans intermarried with the people of these five other nations, causing Jews to look down upon their northern siblings as impure. And so it is with seven centuries of prejudice and mistrust in the background that Jesus asks the Samaritan woman for a drink. And in doing so, he is symbolically reuniting a family that has been torn apart for far too long. He says to her, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, she says, give me this water so I may never be thirsty again. This woman and the people that she represents have been exiled and estranged from their siblings for more than 700 years, now longs to be satisfied by Jesus' living water. This is a story of healing romance. And so we come to the faithful point. Jesus says, go and call your husband and come back. And she responds, I have no husband. And Jesus says, that's right. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Now, if we take this story literally, which is what most of us have done for 2,000 years, we think that Jesus is somehow exposing this woman's supposed lurid sexual past. But this approach forgets that Jesus never shows interest in anyone's sex life. In all four Gospels. Except to do one thing, which is to dignify those whom religion has shamed. That's what Jesus does. That's what he's doing here, too. And so in this symbolic story of reunion, the Samaritan woman's five husband represents those five nations that the Assyrians forcibly moved into their country 700 years ago, you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24. And the man that she's living with now, well, that's the Roman Empire. 
another ruling force who wants nothing to do with her except to dominate and exploit. And so according to the cultural and religious assumptions of the time, Samaria was a nation of half-bred, outcast heretics. But not to Jesus. He does not look down on her for having had five husbands. It's just part of her story. One in which she did what she needed to do to survive. Jesus knows who she is. He remembers who she is. She is the beloved of God. And just like Jacob met his beloved Rachel at this very well in the book of Genesis, Jesus meets Samaria at the same place and longs for her to know that she is outcast no more. And like in every great romance story, they are meant to be together. Now you might wonder, what on earth does this have to do with us? And the answer is everything. It has everything to do with us. Because it is not just first century Jews and Samaritans who have a history of strained relationships. We all do. And it's not just Samaria who's been outcast and mistreated by their siblings in the name of religion. We all have parts of our family, parts of ourselves, that have been outcast and shamed. And it doesn't have to stay that way anymore. When we drink from God's living water, we learn to trust that those parts of our families, those parts of ourselves that have been exiled, they're beloved too. When we learn to see our trauma stories not with shame but with compassion, that's how we're made whole again. We live in the assurance that we are both fully known and fully loved. And that kind of love heals us. Once we've tasted the grace that the Samaritan woman tasted, we're going to say with her, come and see someone who told me everything I've done. And instead of shaming me, he loves me for it. In the end, that kind of acceptance, that's what we're all thirsty for. To be known and loved And that's what God offers to all who've been exiled. This grace is so potent, it is so healing, that it can save the world. So let me ask you, are you thirsty? Let's pray. God of mutuality and vulnerability. We thirst for your presence to heal those parts of our families, those parts of ourselves that have been exiled and shamed. We want Christ's living water to quench our desire for reunion. Lord, may all of your children know that they belong, that they are fully known, and fully loved. May your grace heal the shame of our histories, the history of our families, our our community, ourselves, that we might be exiles no more, but 
reconciled as the one human family that we are. Lord, hear our silent prayers for healing and reconciliation. God of hope, we thirst for wholeness and harmony, for an end to violence and living in the fear of the next mass shooting. We pray for an end to partisan fighting, legislative meltdowns, and political turmoil that serves no citizen well. Fashion our world, our nation, our community into places that reflect your peaceable kingdom where every life is valued and everyone's dignity respected. Hear our silent prayers for wholeness and harmony, O God. Lord, in your overflowing mercy, hear the prayers of your people. We pray for those that we know and love who need your presence in the midst of their sorrow and their pain. We pray for children being bullied at school, that they might know your deep and complete acceptance. We pray for Travis and Remy. We pray for Mary as she grieves the death of her beloved Pete. We pray for Tom as he faces heart failure. For Beth undergoing heart surgery. For Shar Rodenfell's brother-in-law. And for Jesse who's dealing with medical issues. And for all those loved ones who we bring with us in our heart, whom we lay before you now asking your presence and peace to be showered upon them. Lord, as we seek to follow you on this Lenten path, may we rest in the assurance that you go out of your way to seek us first. For without your seeking, we would never be found. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, our seeking Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.